If you have your Bibles or uh, are using the black Bibles that are provided for you, uh, I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 8. And uh, that is on page uh, 1028 in the black Bibles. Uh, We're finishing up Luke chapter 8 today. Uh, If you were here last week, uh, I pointed out that the the four... uh, kind of interactions with Jesus that are recorded at the end of chapter 8, they, they seem to go together, at least in Luke as the author, he saw that these, these four encounters with Jesus uh, really fit well together. Last week, uh, we saw how uh, in two of these ca- encounters, we saw how Jesus uh, has power over the dangers that we face in life and even has power over demons. This week we'll see how Jesus has power over disease and power over death itself. But even saying it that way makes it just sound so impersonal. It's not just that Jesus has power over, you know, the natural world and the unnatural world, that Jesus has power over our diseases and power over death. It's not just that, although that's true, but that doesn't say enough about it. It's that Jesus has power over those things personally for you. Like it's, he, he displays those powers only in his interactions with people. It's only because of his love for us that that power is even displayed. So last week we saw that he commands both the natural and the unnatural. Winds and waves cease to rage. Demons cease to torment. And the focus last week was more on how the power of Christ really is a frightening power when you think about it. That, that there, there is a right place for fear in coming in worship of our Savior. Uh, now, there's a good way to fear Jesus, as we saw, uh, that just humbles you and causes you to want to know more about who this man is. And then there's a bad way to fear Jesus, as we saw the town uh, begging Jesus to leave and not stick around. If last week's focus was more on the fear that we bring into the, our encounter with Jesus, this week's focus in these two stories are, are more on the faith that we bring as we encounter Jesus. So let's stand if you are able for the reading of God's word. Luke chapter 8 beginning at verse 40. Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him, and there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, 
the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher any more." But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her, but he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once, and he directed that something should be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them, to tell no one what had happened. The grass withers, the flowers fade, and yet the word of the Lord remains forever. You may be seated. So our outline's pretty simple. Uh, we've got here two daughters, too desperate, too late, and to trust. Uh, isn't it fascinating how God can take seemingly... Uh, two completely unrelated stories and, and bring them together to, uh, to actually tell a bigger story. Uh, I'm, sure, uh, I'm sure many of you can experience that if you think back to, uh, think back to how you met your spouse, you know, and like, you know, just the weird things that had to happen for your paths to even cross. So like, for example, my, my father was born in Western Pennsylvania, like born and raised, never moved out of the house that he was born in. Uh, my mother was born in Maine and lived in Maine. And so naturally, they met in Chicago. Uh, and so, and for many of us, even... Even for you all, like, like what brought you to hope of Christ? Uh, even, even for how hope of Christ got planted? All of the things that God, like these seemingly unrelated things that then come, come together and you realize, oh, wow, like that was, that was really something. And these two stories, they feel unrelated other than the fact that the woman seems to interrupt Jairus's story or the story of the little girl. But there are clues, at least in the passage, that let us know that, that like, at least in Luke's eye, these two stories are very related and they belong together, not just in Luke's eye, but Matthew and Mark also, who both record both of these instances, keep them together. And so, like some of the things that we see here, some of the clues that, that these are one 
story about two people, or more than two people, really. First of all, uh, Luke's use of the word daughter. So in verse 42, uh, Jairus had an only daughter. In verse 48, Jesus says to the woman, Daughter, your faith has made you well. In verse 49, the servant who comes and says, Your daughter is dead. These are two daughters. They are beloved. They are cared for. Certainly daughters in one sense of their biological earthly fathers. But more important than that, daughters of God. God has a a special place in his heart for them. The second clue that we see is in the, the use of the 12 years. So we learn that the, the daughter is 12 years old. And seemingly coincidentally, the woman has been dealing with her, uh, with her trial, with her disease, with her ailment for 12 years. And we'll, we'll unpack that a little bit more when we get to it. The second, uh, probably third, I mean, the, again, Luke, who loves to use sort of these words that have multiple meanings. Uh, throughout this passage, he talks about uh, being made well or healed. And even as we saw last week in verse 36, the word for made well that Luke chooses is the same word for saved. And so in verse 48 and in verse 50, he says, you know, you're, you'll be, she'll be saved. Your faith has saved you. And so we, before we unpack some of those things, let's understand these two desperate situations. In one sense, we're barely introduced to Jairus and his situation, are we? Uh, at the beginning, we just learned that he's a ruler of the synagogue. So a ruler of the synagogue just sort of means that he was in charge, like both physically, mostly physically, he was in charge of the synagogue. It meant that he would line up the speakers. He wasn't necessarily the guy who spoke at every synagogue every Sabbath, but he would make sure that the speakers were, were set up. He would, he would oversee the liturgy. He would make sure that things were run uh, decently and in order. Uh, and so he's a ruler of the synagogue. He's not necessarily a Pharisee. He's not necessarily a rabbi. He's just a guy who's in charge there. We learn that he has a daughter, one daughter, an only daughter. And she's 12 years old, and she's dying. And he's desperate. Because it's his 12-year-old daughter. You know, does he believe that Jesus can help? I don't know. Does he even believe or know who Jesus is? I don't know. Is he just a father who is desperate enough to try anything? if there's a hope, if there's a chance that his daughter could be made well. He falls at Jesus' feet, we're told. By the way, another connector in both stories, the person falls at Jesus' feet. And he begs him to come to his house. And Jesus goes. 
And I think that's awesome. Jesus doesn't ask him to first explain what it is he expects or who it is that he thinks Jesus is. Jesus goes with the man. He just goes with him. He meets him where he is in his desperation. Now, he doesn't leave him there. He doesn't let him just stay there. But he does meet him there. He does go to him. Whether the man has it all figured out or not, Jesus goes with him. And then we're told the crowds go with him. And in the hustle and bustle, we, we meet our secret, second desperate individual, a woman. A woman with a discharge of blood that has not stopped for 12 years. Now, in the Old Testament law, you were considered, as a, as a woman, uh, you were considered unclean for about a week after your menstruation cycle had ended. And so you were definitely unclean during that time. Uh, if, you, if a woman sat on a chair during that time, of uncleanness, that chair was then considered unclean. Now, it wasn't like throw it away unclean. It was, it, you would go through a ritual to make it clean. But if someone else sat on that chair, then they would be unclean. Just ritually, there would be things they would have to go through. If the woman touched someone or was touched by someone, that person would be made unclean. Twelve years, twelve years of being considered unclean, not unclean at a leper level, but unclean nonetheless. She could certainly stay at home, but she pretty much had to stay at home, or at least when she went out, she had to be very careful and cautious just for the sake of others. Any 12-year-olds, anyone out there 12 years old? Jackson's 12. Anyone else? Ariana. Yeah. Ariana, 12. All right. So, so 12. All you 12-year-olds. Like, you've lived a pretty long and prosperous life. <laughs> Imagine being sick the entire time. And so for you parents of 12-year-olds, that's how long. Like, as long as that child has been with you. That's how long this woman has been sick, has been unclean. It would be awful. I mean, many of us go through things, and if they last, if they last a week, we start crying out, Psalm 77, how long, O oh Lord? Twelve years. Do you think she was desperate? I think she might not have been desperate. I think she had gone well beyond desperate. I think she was hopeless. I think she was resigned and defeated. She had spent everything she had and no physician could help her. This is just an aside. It's a freebie for you. I think we have time for freebies. In other, in like Matthew and Mark... They talk about how basically some of the doctors were quacks and took advantage of her. 
It's interesting that Luke the physician leaves that out. <laughs> he just says that the physicians couldn't help her. <laughs> and he just leaves it at that. Anyway, that's a freebie. We're back. She is desperate and defeated, and yet she has heard about a man who, when he touches lepers, he doesn't become unclean, they become clean. And a spark, an ember, a a smoldering wick of faith begins to glow. What if, maybe, And so the woman devises a plan, and she works her way in through the crowd. Do you think about this ever? Like, these are the things I think about. Jesus could not have been the only person she touched. Like, this crowd is pressing in. She had to touch several people and be touched by people just to get to Jesus. And she gets in, and she touches the hem or the the corner tassels of his robe. And she, we are told, is immediately healed. She is immediately healed. Like she knows it. She feels it. She can sense it. It's a complete change. She would know. After 12 years, she would know. And then she's immediately caught. Well, not immediately caught. She's almost immediately caught. Jesus knows that someone has touched him. And this, this little truth, even about Jesus, I think this is a, an amazing thing of, uh, you know, this bit about Jesus feeling the power go out from him, but not knowing who had touched him in that way. I think it points again to the willing humbling that the Son of God embraced when he became man for us. Because he certainly could have known, but he didn't know. And I don't think he's just faking it. I, I, there's other times he'll ask questions where he's wanting to force an issue. But here he asks, who, who touched me? I think he genuinely doesn't know yet. He doesn't know who touched him. And Peter, it's interesting, you know, I'm sure the whole crowd stopped. If you were one of the people that were on the inside of the crowd, you probably thought, oh, uh, did I touch him? I didn't know he was that kind of guy. Like, I thought, I, I didn't know he was like that. I mean, uh, I probably did. I'm not, I'm not going to say anything. It was sort of, um, you know, Peter tries to diffuse the situation. He's like, uh, Lord, there's a lot of people here. They're all kind of pressing in on you. And Jesus explains it. No, no, someone, someone touched me because I can tell, like, not just bumped me like someone touched me and power has gone out jesus is like at this moment he's like one of those teachers in the classroom who was writing on the board and someone does something and she doesn't know who did it but she knows it was done and so she turns around and says we won't be moving on until one of you tells me who did that and everyone sits there and the one who did it is like oh no And you, as the one who did it, you know she actually knows somehow. Some miraculous way, she actually knows it was you, and so she's just waiting for you to admit what she already knows about you. 
or so. I'm, that's I hear those are the ways people feel about those situations. And then you find out years later she had no idea, and it's a big adult tactic that they use when they tell you, hey, I know what you did, and then you confess. I probably shouldn't be telling you guys this. Uh, and then it turns out they had no idea. They didn't know. But you confess, and it's better that you confess, because it's better to get caught than not get caught. And you don't believe me, but it totally is. It's in the gospel. It is. Anyway, coming back to this. Jesus knows someone has received a healing. You know, this woman, she got what she wanted. She could stay quiet. She could have sneaked, snuck, sneaked away unnoticed, but the Holy Spirit is at work on her already. Think about what she is jeopardizing by admitting this. Like she's going to have to admit that not only was she out and about, but she was out and about in a crowd, and many of them are going to remember, wait a minute, she pushed me aside to get, she touched me. If she comes forward, not only does she have to admit to touching Jesus, she has to admit that she touched a lot of people, and yet she comes forward anyway. And here it is again. She falls on her knees and confesses everything, Luke says. Everything before Jesus and the crowd. Why she touched him. That she was healed by touching him. And Jesus has only one response. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Everything about this, daughter, Like Jesus immediately takes a paternal relationship toward her. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Your faith has healed you. Your faith has saved you. He doesn't want her to just think it was some superstition, that it was her figuring it out, that by her strength, by her pulling herself up by her bootstraps, by her, it's not that that saved you, by her Touching the the garment, that's not what saved her. What saved her was her faith. And he says, go in peace. Go in shalom. You came for just some physical healing? Go with my peace. Not just a clean bill of health, but with peace with God. All she wanted was relief from an awful situation. And what she got was a savior and peace. Again, how amazing is it that God accepts where we are when we come to him, but refuses to leave us there? How awesome that this woman, she just wanted one thing, and God gives her the world. Jesus gives her everything. Far more than she thought she needed. I wonder, I wonder if some of you are like the woman. I wonder if maybe you'd like to sneak in Sunday morning, get a little touch of Jesus, and sneak out. I mean, not enough that's going to make you change anything or do anything different, but, you know, enough to get you through a hard week next week. Just kind of sneak into the crowd, get a touch, fade into the carpet, the carpet, the curtains. Do you know Jesus wants more than that for you? 
Like Jesus wants a relationship with you. He wants, he wants you to be in a relationship with his community. Like the only way that you are going to have more than just some temporary relief is to actually get involved, to uh, be willing to be exposed, to be helped. Do you ever wonder what Jairus was thinking throughout all of this? I mean, if he had a watch, he would have been looking at it a lot, I think. Does he know why the servant is coming? I'll bet he at least fears why the servant is coming. I mean, a servant from his house comes and finds them. And he says those awful words. Your daughter is dead. Don't trouble the teacher anymore. It's too late. I mean, it was a long shot anyway. Better luck next time. You know, maybe if the woman hadn't slowed the crowd down, maybe if Jesus hadn't taken so much time to talk to the woman who slowed the crowd down. There's a lot of shoulda, coulda, wouldas, I'm sure. But Jesus says to him, dude, I'm sorry, that's awful. You know, if, you, if there's anything I can do for you in the future, you just let me know. This was, this was just really bad timing. I'm sorry. It's, I'm sure you're feeling bad. Um, I'll, I'll pray for you. It's rough. It's really rough. No, he doesn't say that. He says, don't be afraid. Just believe. And she will be well. There it is again. She will be well. You believe. And she'll be saved. See, it's, it's too late for desperation and long shots. The only thing for Jairus is faith. There are no long shots for bringing your dead daughter back. You're going to have to trust that this guy is more than a teacher if you're going to keep walking home. Again, Jesus accepts what drove Jairus to find him, but he loves him too much to leave him in this place of desperation and maybes. And so they get to the house. Jesus brings Peter and James and John in, along with the mother and father. And there are already these professional mourners there. In a, uh, a first century writing, a rabbi is quoted as explaining that even the poorest household should hire at minimum two flutists and one mourner for every funeral. It was expected that you would hire these professional mourners to weep and to wail uh, at the funeral for you. Now, how do I know these were professional mourners? Uh, Well, for one thing, you don't go from weeping to mocking unless the weeping was fake as quickly as they did. They are supposedly weeping for the death of this girl. Jesus comes in and says, "What? don't weep. She's not dead. She's, she's just asleep. And then they turn to immediate laughter 
and mockery. So Jesus takes his three closest, the mother and father, and he speaks those beautiful words. Child, arise. Little girl, get up. Talitha, kum. And so that you not misunderstand Jesus' words, Luke, as only a physician would tell you, lets us know her spirit returned. She was not asleep. She was dead. Her spirit returned and she got up at once. And then Jesus tells the mom and dad, hey, don't tell anyone about this. Which seems a little cruel. But here's the thing. Jesus is still in his ministry. He is still establishing that the Son of God came to serve, not to be served. He's not coming to establish himself as a king reigning over things. And what better news than he raises dead daughters uh, how like that, like the crowds would come a flocking. But he's like, that's not going to help. That's only going to confuse people right now. It's great. Uh, there's this great song, Don Francisco, in the 70s. Uh, so you should go home and look it up. Uh, it's a very 70s-sounding song. But it's, uh, the song is sung from Jairus's perspective. Uh, Don Francisco likes the storytelling kind of songs. Uh, and it's called Gotta Tell Somebody. Uh, because, like, like, how could you not? I, I, I gotta tell somebody. And uh, so you really need to go listen to the song. If you're not crying by the end of the song, you know, I don't know. You might not have a heart. <laughs> or you might not be emotionally unstable. One of those two. Anyway, so some things about trusting. About, because, again, it's not just, you know, Jesus tells the woman, your faith has saved you. Jesus tells the man, don't fear, just believe. And again, remember, this isn't like Jesus does not agree with Oprah Winfrey. That what you need is, and I, you know, I threw George Michael under the bus last time, so we'll go with Oprah. Like it's not just about faith. It's not just, you just have to believe. And you just, you just have to believe strong enough. And, and as long as you believe, that's what matters. That's a bunch, that's just ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Like, faith not in the proper thing is helpless, is hopeless. The woman's faith was in Jesus. Her faith in Jesus saved her. Jesus says to Jairus, don't be afraid just believe in me. Faith must be in Jesus. Jesus can save you from your contaminated, unclean, hopeless life. You know, this woman, she's unclean because of something, like through no fault of her own. You and I, we so often, part of why we might sneak in and try to get a touch and sneak out is because we know where our contamination comes from. It comes from our choices. 
our decisions, our sins. If these folks knew these things about me, they would not want to touch me either. We can trust Jesus that he will cleanse you from your contamination, from your sin that contaminates. Trust Jesus that he'll save you from your helpless death. Because it's not just that you're contaminated, but you're dead. I mean, if there's someone to relate to in these stories, it's not Jairus and his need for faith. Like, you are the woman and the daughter. You are the woman who is unclean, not because of disease, but because of your sin. You are the daughter who is dead, who unless Jesus raises, will never hear. Jesus speaks to the dead and they obey. Like that is our only hope. That is your only hope that when Jesus speaks to the dead, they can do nothing but obey. Why do I know this? Because it's what Paul says. In Ephesians 2, Paul says, You were dead. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our bodies and the mind, and and we were by nature children of wrath. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. You and I are dead and contaminated and unclean. And Jesus came to wash and cleanse to raise and give life, to heal, and to save you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we praise you and thank you. As the psalmist said, when this poor man cried, you saved me. Thank you, Jesus, that you speak and listening to your voice, new life the dead receive. We thank you, Jesus, that you have washed us, you have cleansed us by your work. We are clean by your conquering of death. We are alive. Help us to believe in you. In Jesus' name, amen.